in this episode of Collective Reject. This isn't really going to be that for you. And I think that might work against it when you're essentially introducing the new Lantern. Whether you a hero or a villain, expedition leads to crazy feelings. Every page I turn, you know I got a feeling. New stories everywhere, busting out the comic strip. Stories so good, it got me on a power trip. Crazy battles got my mind in a total race. Page one, the original story takes place. So gear up for the new storyline. Writing so good, it sends chills down your spine. Collect or reject, 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 collect or reject. Greetings, true believers. Welcome to Collect or Reject, a show about comics, or more specifically, lesser known comics. My name is Mark Withers, and I'm honored and privileged to be your host today. Here's how it works. Each week, a guest and I will read five issues of a pre-selected title, and based on those five issues, we'll try and determine whether or not that comic should be added to your pull list. Today's comic, Far Sector by N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell. Joining me today to talk about it is a guitarist best known for his work with the band's System Divide, Caricature, and his latest project, Bionotops. He's also an accomplished sociologist and an avid comic reader and collector. Ladies and gentlemen, Joseph Spiller. Joseph, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's it's good to get out of my little bubbles and talk the fun things, which comics are kind of, they were my family growing up, so, and they're the entertainment, so getting to not talk about the social determinants of health <laughs> and then listen <laughs> to the same guitar riff 50 times, um, jumping at the chance, so I'm stoked. Absolutely, man. I mean, you and I talk almost every day, you know, mostly about political stuff. And, you know, we've also worked together on some stuff. You work at the University of Maine, and you've pulled me into a couple of discussions there. Uh, but it's really nice to talk like comics, like something light and fun for a change, which I mean, by the way, like comics also are a means of social commentary. And so I think that, you know, it's apt having you on the show today. I mean, you kind of picked one that has a lot of different social commentaries going on with it. And um, I'm excited about this one. There's a lot of parallels to today and trying to parse that out in our the format here. I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, I think it is going to be too. I mean, I, I really want to dive into this right away, but I do want the audience to get a little bit more of a feel of who you are. And so if you could just uh, give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you got into comics. So I grew up in a small little nowhere town in Maine called Winslow. And even smaller, uh, my great grandmother lived in Oakland, Maine, which is famous because it only has one streetlight in the town, um, which tells you exactly where it is. The, the upside of it is in this little town, there used to be this little store called The Little Giant that was owned by a local family who one of the store owners enjoyed comics. They had you know their, their magazines and stuff, all the stuff you'd see at a little convenience store. But they had one of, even to this day, which there's not really comics anywhere, like other than comic stores, but when even when comics were like out more readily in like gas stations, um, new issues at like Barnes and Nobles and stuff like that, this little store had more <laughs> titles in it than most <laughs> most places. So I would go down and I'd, I'd mow my great grandmother's lawn, and she'd give me like a dollar or two, three bucks, five bucks, 
I'd, I'd, I'd run right down to this little store and I'd start buying comics and one thing led to another and then foreshadowing of the rest of my life I started really getting it like I don't know how we got so off the track with fandoms but I noticed the social commentary in the X-Men and that's what drew me to it and then I started noticing in all these other things like Uncle Sam or US by uh, Alex Ross just one of the the best ever even Marvel's by a lot of Alex Ross work there's a lot of commentary in there and then you go and you're like huh well let's forget about the campy kind of weird Neil Adams Batman and then you start looking at the stuff he did with Green Arrow Green Lantern and that honestly that those type of commentaries and being able to look outside of my little backwoods lifted trucks like i have nothing against that stuff i'm i'm, I'm a little bit of a, a a hayseed country redneck myself but this was my view like to peek into little worlds and how people got these ideas so for me it was just expanding everything and i've always liked art so cool story art something outside of a bunch of trees and deer count me in as I grew older, I, I started moving around, and I've worked the con circuit for years. New York Comic Con, Wizard World, Stanley's Kamikaze. I can't get enough. I keep, it keeps dragging me in. So here I am, still spending paychecks on comics. Right on. <laughs> You're not alone in that. You're not alone. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you did also do a little bit of work with Marvel at some point. Am I mistaken in that? I did something using Marvel stuff, so... Not really. Nothing big. I have no affiliation with them. But my in-between of all the other things I do, because like when I was playing in bands and stuff, there's no money when you're not on tour. Um, and <laughs> I, I started doing graphic design, and I'd pick up whatever jobs would, would come up at the time. Mm -hmm. My rates have gone up over the years as I need to make it, but there was a point where if you gave me like 10 bucks an hour, I'd do anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, man. <laughs> so yeah, so without further ado, let's jump into the topic at hand, Far Sector. Now, this was a very different comic for me in terms of being a Green Lantern comic and me being a Green Lantern fan for as many years as I can remember. This Green Lantern is completely different than all the other ones that I've read before. Now, for the audience at home, I am terrible, as you know, at describing. So I'm going to let Wikipedia do that for me. And here's what the Wikipedia entry says. For the past six months, newly chosen Green Lantern sojourner Joe Moline has been protecting the city enduring, a massive metropolis of 20 billion people. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent. But that's all about to change. Now, that's somewhat of a vague description of kind of what happens. You know, it's essentially a starts off as sort of like a crime, like murder mystery type of a deal, and then sort of morphs into more of a social, like sociopolitical type of a comic in certain ways. But uh, I wanted to sort of get your point of view on this. What was your overall feeling of Far Sector? Obviously, it's sci-fi, but the way the story is told, it's very much like the old crime noir because Joe is constantly self-narrating, especially the intros to every issue. 
this was the first councilman that I ever met. And, you know, like always <laughs> yeah. describing the scene, which is great for setting things up. It doesn't necessarily set it apart, but when you put all of its little pieces together, it creates something a, a bit unique. The other thing that really grabbed me is how the pages are broken down. It has its own distinct look, and they have a very defined color palette in the book. Blues, purples, and then they throw in that green, which is really understated in it. That really grabbed me. We live in the age of variant covers, so it's hard to say which the real cover is. But like the regular cover, I was pleased to see matches the inside. So from you, you if you're going for just the regular Joe cover... Haha, ha, that's like multiple levels on that pun. Um, <laughs> it sets the tone well, I think, looking for the like cover A and B because it's actually action from the book. They're not putting someone else in there. And I actually appreciated that. It wasn't just a bunch of people trying to put like the most dynamic cover of the character. It does have some of that little bit of old school look. We're showing you what's inside here rather than just make something look cool. I think that's kind of a welcome turn of events for DC for me. I fell off the bandwagon a few years ago after right. <laughs> but this was an unexpected turn for me, kind of like losing faith in the brand and reading this. I will give like a little applaud to DC for letting these creators take this to where they've taken it. Now, I'm not going to give spoilers, so we'll do it in order here. So for me, this book has its pluses and minuses. So I'll talk about the pluses first. For one thing, I think Jamal Campbell's artwork is brilliant. I, I really like the way that he draws action when there is action in this book. I like a lot of the color work here. Like you said, there's some dynamic things happening in the color palette that really draw your eye. I love the way that Sojourner is drawn sort of in the image of Janelle Monet, for example, just like her overall look. I love the costume, like her Green Lantern uniform is very different than a lot of the other lanterns. So there's a lot of originality here. The social component, I like the parallels that it draws, you know, where you have this group of the population that wants to actually feel that does not want this, what they call the, uh, the exploit, right? That takes away their emotions. Uh, and then there's another group that feels like that is exactly what's needed. And these two groups clash and you have protests and these protests turn into riots. And then you have what you would consider a police force coming in to quote unquote, preserve the peace. And I think that that was a good parallel for like things that we see now with protests. Although that was speaking to specific timely events, I think that there's certain elements within there that are timeless. And I like that. The thing that I don't like about the book is that for a Green Lantern comic, it's very short on Green Lantern action. Like there's only like really like a couple of instances where she uses the ring and where she's actually like, you know, showing what this ring can actually do, you know, and that kind of makes the book move a little slower than I would have hoped. Overall, I did enjoy the comic, you know, at least the five issues, these five issues that we're talking about here, I've, I've read beyond those five, but within that first five issue arc, I do think that there's enough there to keep going. If you really look at like, it's is so visually stunning. It's easy to flip forward, even when 
the plot itself is moving a little slow because like a big thing of this character which new character is joe has never really tested the power of the ring has never had a reason to use it so on one hand i can see where you might take an issue or two to build up you know you finally got to use the ring and then hey let's see what it can do and really test it out and that doesn't really happen you know like it's almost a comic trope someone discovers a power like Peter Parker, Spider-Man, he's got some spider stuff going on, and he goes and sees that everything he can do. Or Professor Xavier with every X-Men, let's see what your powers are. Or any of the Kryptonians, like, they come and they figure it out and they do all the stuff. That doesn't happen in this comic. Or, you know, doesn't really happen in the first five. Um, No spoilers, but I'm not going to set someone up for disappointment. That's not who Joe is as a character, as they put it in. And if you're, like, a person that is expecting, hey, superhero, Green Lantern stuff, this isn't really going to be that for you. And I think that might work against it when you're essentially introducing the new Lantern. And it honestly, if it wasn't for the art being so nice, I'm not sure I could have stayed into it. But the art is nice, mm-hmm. and I do like the character of Joe. It's how fast are we getting to something in this book? There's some stories that you're just flipping through pages and you can't wait. Yeah. This one isn't necessarily that, but then you're like, well, Joe's this really interesting character. I want to get to those parts. So it's, it's it's keeping me going. Yeah. And I would agree with that. You know, I'll say that this is my uh, second time reading through this. Now, the first time, maybe my expectations in terms of like what the comic was going to be were a little bit subverted, right? And I think that that might have affected, you know, the way that I read the comic because the first time through, I kind of felt like it was a little convoluted, a little bit slow. The second time around, I felt that there was a lot more to be gleaned from the comic, you know, and it was interesting to me in a different way because I kind of had a, a real understanding of what Jemison was trying to accomplish. And so I read it differently and I got different things out of it. I like the ancillary characters in this, most of whom I can't pronounce their names, which is another problem, I think, is that some of the names, they're very long without giving any real examples. There are these really sort of like long kind of descriptive names of like what they are and like they're more like titles. And I don't know that that's necessary. Like it feels unnecessary if that's fair to say. It almost bogs the book down. Like you're less likely to want to learn more about those characters because they're so tied to whatever their title is. On one hand, a lot of what you get in these first five issues is a lot of world building. And since it's a lot of narration from Joe, they're showing a culture. Then their culture, you know, these names are more descriptive things. Which is cool to an extent, but like few of us are reading comics in a vacuum and when you want to go share that with like your friends and talk about it, how do you talk about it when it's like, you know, a name that's a bunch of consonants next to each other? There's no place for you to hear it. There's no phonetic spellings or anything. And then you're just like, you know, that name with a, you know, Y and X, 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 X. It creates kind of this hokey conversation where no one knows what anyone's talking about, though interesting there probably would have been a way to kind of bridge that in, like keep the names for sure. If you've got to put like a little footnote, this is pronounced a certain way. I think that would have helped me a lot in this right? because I want to connect to this world. I feel like I couldn't 
immersed myself in it because then I was trying to figure out how do I say this name? Who is this person? And some of them are kind of similar when the way that they're spelled, mm-hmm. which I think is also part of the culture they're trying to. But then I'm like, oh, is this this person or not? So I go flip back and I'm like, I'm losing my train of thought while reading it. But I'll throw like the positive in here. One thing the book does really well is every other issue. Um, Joe kind of breaks the fourth wall and like talks directly to the reader of like a little summary of what's been going on. And even in the other issues, if it starts off with action or whatever's going on, the inner dialogue is expressed on the page that kind of sums up what just happened in the last issue and how Joe feels about it, which I think was very wise on the part of the creative team. When I felt myself kind of pulling away, I was like, oh, you know, as you're reading them in order, it pulls you back in. You're like, oh, this is especially you go with uh, was it issue two and just like it's the first murder. I've got to get there faster. And like, though, there's not a lot of action. It's like they make a meal of that tiny bit of action they got right. and they expand it out. So I think that's a plus. But if you're expecting Green Lantern that you've read before, this really isn't it. Right. And it's hard when everything's like, New Green Lantern. I dislike spoilers, but for anyone that's going to read this, I think you're better off knowing that this is a different type of storytelling, which I think is needed in DC in the universe, but a little bit of preface on it would have gone a long way for me. I agree with that 100%. Now, I thought we'd take a minute and talk about the dollar value of these books. And I already know like your opinion on, you know, um, on collecting for monetary purposes, but I figured that it was important for the purposes of this show that we kind of talk about it. Now, at the time of its initial publishing, the cover price of this comic was about $3.99. And just looking at it on sites like gocollect.com or eBay, at least these first two issues are going for somewhere in the neighborhood of $75 for just the main cover, uh, not counting the variants. Some are going for a little bit more, some are going for a little bit less. And then three through five are somewhere between $50 and $65. Now, with this knowledge, does that sway your opinion one way or the other as far as whether or not this is a collectible. I think I already know your answer, but I kind of want you to say this out loud. <laughs> um, so I've said this before, but since we say it as, as friends of behind closed doors, like if you look at every comic ever released, most of them are valueless. Um, and it doesn't take a lot for books to go from being super hot, super valuable to, I don't know, if we're doing dollar bin books, inflation's really got us right now. So we might be mm-hmm. $2 bin books very soon at the cons. But this particular series when you know uh what november 21 there was a lot of like pandemicry going on on this so like a lot of the print runs end up getting shorter there were delays on books if you're talking value i can see where this one might actually keep its value and i'm not going to say this about a lot of books there's a lot of stuff coming out, and it depends on what gets optioned for movies, what's going to be in other storylines. I don't know if this is spoiling it here, but this character, as they're setting Joe up, th- I don't think this spoils anything. Joe has something very special about the ring. It is yeah. the, it's one of one, and this was 
we're thinking probably put into the book for a reason. Mm -hmm. And since this is a one of one thing that is in the same universe as everything else, I actually see these books holding the majority of the value for a long time with lower print runs on a lot of these books. If Joe appears in other major events, hardcore collectors are going to want them. And some of these variants, if you go like for a one in 25 based on the run, there's only a couple hundred of these in the world. I think Joe's a very interesting character. And I'm, I'm trying not to let that shield any of it. And I don't want to be the person who's like hyping up a comic, like you got to go buy this, go waste, you know, go spend your money on it. But how many of these are already in collections that are going to keep them, especially when you add in like cultural relevance? I can see a lot of people having a tie to this character, though for me, I read comics. Uh, I have some as in, uh, like, I don't have them as investment, but I have realized they're worth a lot of money. So like, I do keep them around. I don't buy for that reason though. This one, I think you should read it. If you're someone who is like wanting to take a bet on something, I can see this one being honestly worth it. You know, if you're looking at a book that's currently 75, you got an opportunity to get something that a 98 for 30, 40 bucks unslabbed. I probably would pull the trigger on it. Well said. Uh, I think I, I agree with you for the most part here. Now you have a lot more knowledge about the intrinsic value of these comics. You've worked these cons. You've been collecting probably a little longer than I have been collecting. Um, I would say just off of the name recognition alone, I mean, N.K. Jemison is an acclaimed author, has done other successful books. This was a highly anticipated book. Even if this series uh, ultimately fails, I think that we'll see Sojourner in other books within the core. Um, you know, I think eventually she'll be out of the far sector and in other stories. Years from now, she'll probably become like a John Stewart or a Kyle Rayner or a Jessica Cruz, where you see her in other things. Like you'll see her in like maybe a Justice League comic here and there. And we'll come back to these early comics. It seems to me that they're already pretty valuable, but they'll probably be a little more valuable over time. So I, I tend to agree with you on that one. And I, I, I hate to speculate on stuff, but I would genuinely be surprised, especially like one, two, there's probably some, we didn't go past five for this, but as the characters that are central to Joe might show up other places, I wouldn't be surprised, especially because these, a lot of these were actually hard to get. Right. Even from the get-go, stops were closed down during like the peak of this and they wouldn't have created this character and given the creators such levity with creating a universe if it wasn't going to expand. Right. Though I see a lot of minuses in the way the story was told for the first five issues because of how slow it was, the character is really relatable. And like, yeah. it's really easy to fall into who Joe is and the situation that Joe is in never had to test any of the power and go it's and like just the world that you get to look at i can see people latching on to this the comic world as a whole like fandoms i don't feel they've really heard much about joe like right this is like kind of under the radar so even like the prices being as high as they are now it surprises me in the same way that it doesn't surprise me i i totally get it but since it was so under the radar i didn't expect that someone had picked up on 
<laughs> on it like so quick because like looking at some of these like harder to get variants i'm like whoa like if you're pulling a nine eight on some of these and you got this at cover price or if you got it just at you know your local shop i have a i have a local shop up here if it's a one in 25 variant you know they, they get their whole run they usually charge about 50 bucks for it and if i spent that 50 bucks on it on a whim if I was going to go sell that today, I'd be pulling a couple hundred bucks off it. Yeah. That helps too when people be buying it. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> I think this is one to add to the collection. Okay. So let's make it official then. It is time for the verdict, collect or reject. I would definitely collect this one. I'm not the type that gets every single issue. Let's be real here. The, the trades are for that. The graphic novel is for that. but. If you're reading through, you're connecting to the the number one issue. Joe's awesome. Don't think I didn't notice that Sojourner finding the truth and stuff. Yes. And also, if we're talking about collect, you need to collect this. Anyone who's who's listening to this, because apparently Miles Davis music reaches all the way to the far reaches of the universe. Nothing <laughs> else does except for Miles Davis, because Joe likes to quote Miles Davis. Right. That alone. Lock in that value. Let's collect that. Right on, man. I'm really on the fence about this one. I mean, we literally just laid out all the reasons why you should collect this. But in my heart of hearts, I got to say that I would probably reject it just because I'm not really married to this storyline. They could have done a lot to make this more compelling, uh, especially when you have a character that is as rich and as complex as Sojourner is. Um, I would have liked to see a lot more backstory, and you probably do get that in the latter issues. I would probably collect maybe the first one or two issues, but as far as putting this in a pull list long term, I don't think that I would make that call. I back that pretty hard. I can't imagine spending you know, like 450 bucks ish on getting all of these issues. I, right. I can't do it. 50 bucks, maybe, mm. but those days are gone. You're not getting this for cover price anymore. <laughs> well, you know, you never know. I mean, the price may drop violently, but I highly doubt that. Like you said, these comics are going to hold the dollar value that they currently have. So we'll leave it there. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Joseph Spiller. Uh, before you go, please tell our audience where they can find you. Um, so I am a social media hermit, but uh, <laughs> at Joseph Spiller on the Instagram, at Caricature Hope on the Twitters. Uh, I should probably make a TikTok someday, but I feel too old for it. And of course, I want to thank all of you for listening. If you like what you heard here today, please rate and review this episode. Until next time, my name is Mark Withers. Catch you on the next page. Collect or Reject is a production of Press Play Media in association with Von Keith Sounds. This episode is produced and edited by Mark Withers. Music by Keith Sewell. Bar Sector was created by N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell for DC Comics. For more information on this and other episodes, visit us at collectorreject.com. <laughs>